You're listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast, where we discuss everything iRacing in a casual setting. Enjoy. Welcome to the iRacers Lounge. I'm your host, Mike Ellis. iRacers Lounge is a podcast for the iRacer, where we talk all things iRacing in a casual setting. Joining me are the usual characters, David Hall. Yo, yo. Justin Pearson. What's up, guys? Hey, hey. Mackenzie Stevens. Hey, how's it going? All right. And Brian McCubbin. Hey, yo, everybody. Yo. On the show today, we will take a look at the first ever international race in the Coke E-NASCAR series, while the Porsche Super Cup cars come to America. We'll look at what a professional driver says are his five must-have sim racing accessories. And in the hardware, we'll see what direct drive wheel was described as killing the competition. And you can follow along with us in real time on your PC or mobile device as you listen to the show. And see for yourself all these great topics and products we'll discuss by visiting iRacersLounge.com, selecting show notes. So log in and we'll see you on the website. open up with the coke race at monza and it's a road course so um who's our ringer mike well it's bobby Zelensky. it's been two full seasons since he's been a winner actually at any road course but in the series inaugural monza visit Zelensky was untouchable leading all 30 laps from the pole position en route to his second victory in a row of the year Zelensky made zero mistakes. He pulled away early from Leahy and the rest of the field, uh, waited as long as possible to pit, executed a perfect pit, and maintained the gap through every lap. Um, there was a couple, you know, there was a big wreck in the back of the pack on the first lap at the at the first chicane. Now, they actually skip or drive through the chicanes at Monza uh, along the uh, first part of the course, which makes it real interesting. But, yeah, there was a pile up, and, and that was interesting. But with no cautions, uh, yeah, there wasn't anybody uh, touching Bobby. Yeah, Mike, um, without that first chicane, this track really was a fast track for, you know, for what, three and a half miles, something like that. Um, and uh, not having that real sharp chicane right at the beginning made the first turn a real high speed affair where um, the back half of the field just kind of uh, lost it uh, at one point and uh, took a bunch of cars out really early. Um, I was listening, I was listening to the um, some of the interviews after that. And uh, one of the guys. It's like, well, I had a lot of fun on the first straightaway. <laughs> and that was the end of this race. So, uh, yeah. So um, other than that, um, you know, they, they did mention because of the high speeds on this track that, uh, you know, the draft wasn't was a factor. But, I mean, Bobby, Bobby Zielinski just opened the gap far enough that they weren't even in drafting range in short order and uh, couldn't even couldn't even uh, suck up to his car using the draft. So he pulled away and, you know, it was lights out at that point. Um, there was just no stopping him. All he had to do was not make mistakes. And like you said, Mike, he just didn't make any. Yeah, and, and they had the battle for a second. It was Leahy and Tucker Minter, uh, our winner from Day, uh, Daytona, I believe. Um, and he was up there and ended up finishing second. So a great run for Tucker Minter. 
So this is one of no. the weeks that they will not have a week between races, right? We're going to jump right into Dega next week. Yeah, for whatever reason, we're it, you know we're not going to skip uh, a week like usual. They're trying to uh, offset the schedule for some reason. But yeah, Talladega next week that'll be fun. Well, one of the things that they um they mentioned on the on the sh- on the broadcast, and I didn't I don't remember hearing this anywhere before, but they're going to be running fixed setups for Talladega and another track later down the season. I thought it was Pocono, but um yeah, I don't remember ever running fixed fixed races, and maybe that's why they don't have the um the extra time extra week. You know, people aren't going to have to be uh, working on setups. That's interesting. I did, I must have missed that in the broadcast. So fixed setups. So I mean, what is the uh, impact of that? I mean, the back end teams they they really don't have to do anything. You know, uh, it's like a week off. <laughs> also, like I've said this before, the fixed setups favor certain styles. Now Dega, not that big of a deal because that's such an equalizer track anyway. In fact, I've been in races before where the fi- they created a fixed setup to try to make f- for a better package, whereas I don't know about Pocono. That's going to be – that's an interesting choice there. You would think that would cause tighter racing, closer racing, right? Yeah. Need I think, experiment. I think the only place you'll see it really factor in is in qualifying at Dega if, if they're running fixed setups. Because um, you know you can you can sit, ma- setups can make a big difference on uh, qualifying, um, and if everybody's running the same setup, man, you're gonna get people. You're gonna get a whole bunch of times really, really close to each other. I just think about Pocono. You know, fixed setups, tighter racing. Would that cause more wrecks, more yellow flags? Maybe. That's already such a such a draft track now with 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 the current car that. It was going to be tight anyway. Well, we always talked about stories about how there's burnout. Um, there's so many people putting so much time into the Coke series setups without compensation. And so, you know, this is a good experiment. Let's, let's see how this goes. You know, maybe that's a compromise to kind of minimize that a little bit by certain tracks. We do fix setups, um, you know, to give everybody a break. All right, Justin, looks like we have a new console game coming out. Yeah, David, uh, iRacing and Orantes Games are pleased to announce the creation of Exocross, a futuristic off-road driving game that will be coming to Steam, PlayStation, and Xbox in fall of 2023. And this looks like a very unique arcade game, arcade game, arcade racing game, I should say. Uh, yeah, they tweeted all this information out here recently. It does. It, it's like a, you know, some kind of buggy with really oversized tires is the way it looks. This makes me think, what was y'all's uh, favorite kind of old arcade racing game that you can remember back from any, back in any of the times? Cruising USA. I can't remember the name of it. USA. But there was, some, there was one where you actually were overhead completely overhead and raced trucks on an off-road kind of thing. And Oh, yeah. I you know, remember there, that. There were power-ups and everything everywhere. Yeah. I can't remember what it was called, but that one was always really fun. I had it for Super Nintendo. I know what you're talking about. Um, Excite-a-bike. I do still remember a pole position from Atari. Well, it's pretty cool I, that, I, you know, iRacing is now involved in two 
console games, okay? And so this would be the second one that I know of. And, and I think this really sets them up to take over those motorsports games license from NASCAR, IndyCar, Lamar, and so forth once that company fails. So I really think this is good news for everybody as far as that goes, because it really builds their reputation that, hey, we can handle this. We can take that business. Let's do it. Do you think they would actually try to collaborate and make, say, a NASCAR and IndyCar game, though? Like I think the there's several I mean, you got to make a deal with NASCAR. You got to make a deal with IndyCar. They're not going to be a combined deal. But I could be dreaming. I... Well, um, so I remember when um, iRacing, the news came out that they bought this um, bought this game that or the company that made these type of uh, off-road extreme type of car game. Um, and I remember uh, at the time we speculated that they, they might be using the uh, talent from these those organizations to help help with their current, you know, uh, off-road tra- truck series like, uh, you know, the pro trucks and all. But it doesn't look like that's the case. Uh, it's look like strictly to make, you know, to, to make these uh, console games. They're not really transferring these guys over to the uh, iRacing side of it. They're they're just expanding what they do with the sprint car uh, console game and now, now with this off-road game. Yeah, it's hard to say, you know, what the uh, collaboration is between the two um you know who is it benefiting is it benefiting both you know i I don't know if we know all that from this point of view but like i said i mean from a business point of view if you're able to do hey i'm i'm the king of sim racing and pc but we can also be the king of sim racing and console all right next up brian it's uh, highlights of the week time yeah, guys. Uh, so this is uh, for the week of 4-11-2023. Um, iRacing put out uh, eight videos that were on their highlights. Uh, some some really good LMP battles that the, was number eight. Um, um, there was one that was really interesting. Um, we see it a lot where uh, a car goes from like 19th to 1st at Talladega or Daytona, and they had another one. That, this was in the truck series, but those race those guys you know move up in one lap because there's a couple crashes and they you know make up missions but this was not that i mean this guy drove from 19th place and there was nobody crashing around him where he was gained you know a bunch of spots as cars were crashing so it was really cool to see um this guy moving through the field it was uh it was pretty it was a it was an awesome last lap uh for this fellow who whoever did that i like the second to last one what kind of car is that is that the Ford, um, uh, the weird Ford one? I forgot what it's called. Yeah, it is a weird one. I can't forget. It looks like a wedge kind of, but they're they're fairly slow, but they're all over each other. I mean, you could throw a blanket over these three guys as they're coming to the checker. Pretty cool. Yeah, lots of good uh, clips as usual. Uh, enjoyed watching this one for sure. The the big wreck at California and the guy. One guy gets through, you know, and everyone else wrecks. That one was pretty good, too. Yeah, that one's my favorite. I don't, I don't really know how he actually got through that. I don't know if that was me. I probably would have just T-boned someone and been wrecked out. You get, you gain an intuition after experience. I, I think there's, I think some drivers are better at it than others, but 
but I think you learn that in iRacing, you know, which way the, the wreck's going to go and you instinctively turn, you know, the right direction. Yeah. I looked it up, Mike. That is the spec racer for those cars on number. Oh yeah. Spec racer. That's right. I, I forgot how fun those are. That's like a, a really fun, op, you know, open cockpit kind of car. Well, from the highlight reel to the dumpster fire, the next thing we have is an insider gaming article on the current state of motorsports games. And it goes on to talk about what they had already mentioned with their uh, their fourth quarter report. And also uh, had at this uh, article had some access to some inside uh emails talking about more uncertainties despite the fact that they're getting some capital capital boost from their parent company um indycar also said that they were going to continue to evaluate the information they're giving and they're thoroughly committed to bringing the best quality video game products to the indycar community well all they got to do to prove that is dump motorsports games if they if that if they really want to mean that and NASCAR also issued a similar statement uh, and are and they are actually kind of more willing to acknowledge that they understand there's concerns concerning the quality of motorsports games. So basically, Insider Gaming got an exclusive quote from NASCAR about this. So here's what it says. NASCAR is committed to delivering high-quality experience for our fans, and we take their feedback seriously. We understand and share the concerns regarding the quality of the video games produced by motorsports games and are actively working to improve the overall gaming experience. We're optimistic about NASCAR's future in this space. NASCAR continues to believe in the potential for growth and improvement in the video game space. We are collaborating with motorsports games to address the concerns raised by our fans and are optimistic about the future of NASCAR's initiatives in gaming. NASCAR's top priority remains delivering exceptional experiences to our fans on and off track, including through gaming. We are grateful for the continued support and feedback from our community and are excited to bring new, engaging, and innovative products to the market in the coming years. Now, for, uh, uh, you know, a sanctioning body to call out a company that they're contracted with and say the words, we have concerns regarding the quality of the video games produced by motorsports games. That's that's a nice way of telling them they, you know, they suck. Yeah, and and didn't like a month or two ago, they say that they're not supporting online um, NASCAR anymore. More, yeah, that's, know, the no more that's the whole thing. Yeah. If you have a, a NASCAR game, you're 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 expecting what's called a DLC pack, is what they I think it's called for 2023. Where is it? Oh, it's oh nowhere to be found. Oh, interesting. And like you said, there's no more online access anymore. It's it's like a, a dumpster fire, like David said. And and motorsports games has been uh, really tight-lipped about all these uh, issues. Um, you know, this this article says that they've reached out multiple times for comments from motorsport games, and and they just have not responded at all. Well, well what can they say other than, yeah, we suck? <laughs> They're not going to say that. I just, um, I, I'm, yeah, I know we're beating the dead horse. I just hope they really, uh, again, I hope Indy realizes how screwed they were with that with that uh little deal let's move on to something a little bit uh 
more interesting and and less dire. Uh, you meant, you mentioned it in the preview, Mike. We have uh, three or five sim racing accessories that are must-haves. Yeah, I'll take this one. According to Daniel Morad, the uh, GT3 driver from Canada, um, we get a lot of good information from his channel. And, and he so he put this video out this week. Number one, the Asus ROG bezel-free kit, which I actually had at one point, and I sold it. <laughs> it didn't work with my monitors with really thick bezels. You have to have a certain type of Asus monitor or a monitor with similar very thin bezels for this to work right. Uh, second was the Stream Deck. Third, his D-Box motion system. Fourth, of course, his gloves and socks. Now, he sells gloves and socks, so you kind of expect that to be on his list. Um, and then finally, interestingly, was his SimCore extension staff for his steering wheel. Uh, he's keen about getting that uh, steering wheel close to him uh, and, and keeping the base where it is. Um, and so he always has this long extension on his uh, SimiCube 2 Pro. Now, a lot of these are accessories, but how do you call D-Box an accessory? That's not an accessory. That's that's more than a PC. True. So I'll throw it out to this group. What is your uh, best accessories? Butt kicker, I think. Okay. Butt kicker and D-Box are kind of the same category. Yeah, except two to three orders of magnitude difference in price, right? There's a few less zeros there. See, I'm, you know... I, Go ahead, Justin. I was going to say, Mike, I see I'm at the point where I bought all the core stuff, the wheelbase, the pedals and all that. And I haven't expanded on this accessories and I'm trying to figure out what's the best option and the best order to buy. And I think this extension shaft is going to be one stream deck and the butt kicker. I got those three I'm trying to decipher from. Yeah, the extension shaft, you know, what I would say about that is this one is super nice, too. Um, but this is the kind that you hook to the base, and it's always there, okay? And then you put the wheel on the end of it. Now, the way I did it is I went and bought cheap extensions off Amazon for real steering wheels um, and put one on each of my wheels, one on my oval, one on my Formula One. And that way I don't have the extension just sticking out from the base when there's no wheel on it, that kind of thing. So, you know, there's one way to, there's a couple ways of doing the extension. The other so thing I would throw out for accessory would be the wind sim, uh, where you have fans blowing on you that go with the change of speed. And of course, butt kicker. Well, um, from my, from my point of view, um, the one, one thing that uh, completely changed how I um, how I viewed iRacing, and um, really launched all of the all the other purchases, really was um, VR. Um, that was what really opened the, the possibility of full immersion for me. And once once that door was opened with a, a VR headset, then all the other things that I got were kind of just accessories to uh, that immersion that I originally got from being inside of the car and having a 3d model of the car that you can look around in and a 3d world around you so for me that's really what kicked off all of everything that i've gotten since then was that first bit of like this t this taste of total immersion see what i like about 
VR, Brian, is that's how I got in the sport initially because I already had a gaming computer. Then I had that Quest 2, which costs 300 bucks, and I got that. And so I could play the game, get a steering wheel for another couple hundred bucks. I didn't have much money invested because I would have never came near what I got invested now if I hadn't done that first little baby step. I guess I almost don't think of the VR as accessory because it's so core. In fact, I had stopped racing online until VR came out. And then when VR came out, I tried it again. And, and that's really what brought me back. Pretty much the only accessory I'd say I have is I just wear gloves and then wear my karting shoes because I just like the feel of racing with the pedals with shoes over just bare socks. And it's actually kind of funny. I was stumbled across uh, his gloves the other day before even watching this video. And uh, they're actually pretty cool because they're sim racing gloves and karting gloves. But uh, you can also customize it and have like your name and your country flag on it, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. If you're into the gloves and socks, uh, he has some neat stuff at his website, Maradness. All right, let's talk some more of the pro sports, guys. Uh, Brian, we, we had another Porsche Super Cup race. Yeah, we actually had back to back weeks for uh, the Porsche Cup for the first time in in a long time. And they were at uh, Watkins Glen. So uh, watching those guys go around Watkins Glen is always it for for guys like like me who are in the NASCAR and are really familiar with that track. I'm not, not quite as familiar with a lot of the European tracks that they typically run on. Really, really cool to see. Um, they, uh, so the, had, uh, t- the twin races is typical. Um, and, uh, let's see, uh, Campbell wins the main feature, uh, which, uh, which was a Coanda sweep for the, uh, for the two. Um, was uh, Zach Campbell with uh, Byron Collins in second, and finishing third. Main feature was Bobby Zelinsky, so he had a heck of a week. Uh, um, you know, uh, as as being a NASCAR driver, he a lot of laps on Watkins Glen in his own right, and uh, maybe that helped him uh, in this Porsche race. Um, Alejandro Sanchez finished fourth with Oscar M- M- uh, Mangan uh, finishing fifth. So uh, good race for those guys. Um, in the overall standings, we have um, Jordan Caruso is still uh, in the lead over Diogo Pinto by uh, 48 point or 58 points now. So he really padded his lead a little bit. And to be honest with you, Pinto or, or Caruso did not have a great finish. He finished uh, 13th, I think, but uh, Pinto did not was not able to capitalize on that poor finish by Caruso, and he actually finished uh, a few spots behind him. So the actual points lead opened up a little bit, even though Caruso did not have a great feature race. Um, Charlie Collins is in third place, four points behind Diego Pinto, uh, followed by uh, Alejandro Sanchez and Sebastian Job. Now, Sebastian Job actually won the pole for this uh, event and uh, did not finish well. Um, he still finished seventh from the pole, which was pretty surprising for a driver of his caliber to be starting up front and, and not really getting uh, that good of a lead. I, I get, I, And uh, it, it was all because uh, he had a good first turn at Watkins Glen, but the S's actually kind of favored the car that was uh, on the inside. And uh, that was uh, what would uh, shuffled him back on the start. And he never really recovered that well from there. So, uh, 
it was a, it was a good race. Uh, there's a next race is two weeks away, I believe. So it's not another back to back. And, uh, and, uh, we had a lot of fun in the all-star race as well. Yeah. Matt Malone put up a video showing a battle of four cars battling for the win on the final lap here. And he's in fourth and he muscles his way to third. And, uh, he's pretty excited about finishing, uh, getting his first podium in the uh, all-stars. Yeah, we had a video from Matt Malone last week, and, uh, and he's really exciting to watch. And he, he did that again, Mike. You were commenting last week where he was hitting the button to look left and look right. It's it's still really funny to see that. For, for somebody jarring. who's invested, yes, for somebody who's so invested in iRacing um, as, as Matt Malone is, it's, it's surprising that he's got a single monitor that he's uh, using the looks on. All right, McKenzie. Um, I don't know if you heard recently there they announced the uh, the Moon Crew for Artemis Two, but that's not really what we talk about. So, what about Moonhead Madness? Yeah, Moonhead tweeted a highlight video of some of the more outrageous clips from his uh, announcer calls in the Moonhead Racing series, and uh, these announcers there they're pretty funny. There's there's wrecks going on, and they're just yelling, going being very ecstatic about it and lots of swearing happens in the video it's 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 very entertaining to watch yeah if you haven't heard the moon car guy i mean you you might have heard in social media that got the old guy who stands in front of his tv on the wall and yells when chase elliott's about to finish a race and he screams at the tv and everything it sounds like that guy did you mention his uh, first quote at the very beginning of the video <laughs> Yeah, I did. I saw it. So, so basically, uh, <laughs> the race at at Daytona, and a, they're just running all single file. And I'm assuming he is the league administrator or something, and he can communicate with the drivers. And as they're just pacing single file, he he pretty much just yells at, just opens the mic to everybody and tells them to stop racing like a bunch of p words. <laughs> <laughs> He wants some action, right? <laughs> exactly. That's, that's kind of funny because every league admin I've ever dealt with is like, don't don't cause incidents. Be safe. Be safe. Yeah, no, this guy wants to see Rex, and uh, he wants to call him. He can't wait to call him because and and they're so good. They're so funny. Um, this, this even even like some of the driver interviews that they have on this uh, little highlight clip were very non PC. Um, it's it's almost like the exact opposite of what real NASCAR would be as far as interviews go. They they just unleash on other drivers, and it's it's all acceptable. And uh, I'm sure there's a there's a, a good bit of uh, you know tongue in cheek with with a lot of these things. So um, you know nobody's really hurting anybody's feelings or anything. But um, it's really funny, entertaining. Yes. Podcast housekeeping, leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform to make it easier for more listeners to find us. Mention that podcast to your fellow drivers so they don't miss out. We do appreciate it. We've had huge discussions in Discord this week. You guys are missing out. Make sure to find us there. And our website is iracerslounge.com. We're in regular rotation at the Performance Motorsports Network. All right, let's start talking some fantasy. It was Bristol Dirt. And it was uh, 
almost as dirty as as our NIS races at the dirt, right, Brian? Yeah, so um, um, I'll get it out of the way. I took an absolute beating on this race. I think two of my guys, two of the guys I had in my top five, they were dead, dead last and next to last. Uh, Logano and uh, and um, and Kyle Larson. So that kind of that I was dead in the water right there. So, but uh, Rop Racing seventy seven, he wasn't. He finished in first place, two hundred fifty points. Uh, good, a good run for him. Uh, Canadian. Uh, finished second, and our own Donnie Spiker. Congratulations, Donnie. Finished third. Um, uh, Tafosi's had some good results lately. I'm really happy about how, how well we've we've done, mostly. We also had uh, Tony Groves finished in sixth. Um, Mackenzie, congratulations. Tie for eighth right there. And, uh, and uh, yeah, so that's uh, some representation for Tafosi in the top ten. Oh, Greg, I'm yeah, I got, Tyler. I got burned with Larson and Logano. I put Logano in the in the garage, but couldn't put Larson there. Well, uh, I was I was racing Sunday night, so um, I couldn't I couldn't couldn't make any garage changes when when uh, those guys went out. So I was stuck with them. Yeah, I think I I had a nap car. I slept through it, maybe. You know, some of the you know NASCAR related podcasts are theorizing that it might be the last run at dirt, and I I kind of hope so. It's it's just dumb to not have the one of the best short tracks running on the pavement, and it and it especially in the truck race, but it, and especially for us in NIS, it was an absolute shit show, and these these cars are just not it not what dirt racing is supposed to be. I mean, Brian, you're probably the biggest dirt guy in the in the crew, right? Yeah, possibly, yeah. Um, and you know, when you have like dirt car specialists like um, Kyle Larson saying, you know, we should not be racing these cars on dirt, then you know something's up. Um, although this was the first year where some actual real dirt drivers actually a real dirt driver actually won the thing with Chris Bell um, winning the winning the whole thing, um, but. You know, it, to me, it's it's not the right combination for this. I, I'd rather not. I'd rather them see them run on asphalt than this. So, is it bittersweet for us to be running our last dirt race in NIS, um, at least for the foreseeable future? I mean, I'm glad I won it last year. You know, I'm really glad that I won it. I'm glad that Justin won it. Justin, I mean, you you were kind of uh, going to go ahead here, but you won your fixed NIS race at the Bristol Dirt. I mean, how does it feel to win on that track in this series when you know that it might be the last time that we ever race on dirt? You know, I never we, we lost you. You got me? Yeah. Yeah, no, Mike, I didn't. I didn't really realize that until you just said it, but yeah, that, that's really neat. And it's my first win too. So now for me, there's nothing bittersweet about it. It's a hundred percent sweet. All right. What about next week? What do you guys, who do you guys like? You got Austin Dillon in the mix. Yay. Austin. Um, so, uh, we're at Martinsville, right? Um, typically a good track for like Denny Hamlin is really good there. Um, Truex is a good, good short track driver now. He never used to be, but recently he's been really solid on those tracks. Um, Chastain can't do his uh, his move, although we'll probably see video replays all week long of it. 
I was hoping they would give Barry a shot and chase his car because he's, I mean, he's a short track guy. Hopefully the uh, adjustments they made to the package will lead to some better short track racing too. I know that uh, they were pretty happy with how Richmond went. It was one of the better Richmond races in a while. Let me uh, give out the uh, overall league standings while while we're moving along. Um, Mason Racing is still leading the pack with Canadrian moving into second. Uh, third place is Shane, 72-72. Silver Mustang is fourth and Trictical is fifth. Um, leaving, leading all the FOSI drivers is Stephen Llewellyn in eighth place. Metro Ford of Chicago delivers to you. Whether you're looking for a new or used car, we have over 160 vehicles in stock. Living large or strapped for cash, good credit, no credit, doesn't matter. It's all good at Metro Ford of Chicago. We offer easy financing and guaranteed credit approval. Visit eMetroFord.com to view our complete inventory and tell them Patrick sent you. Metro Ford of Chicago, serving Chicagoland and beyond for over 35 years. Will this computer run iRacing? Not now. All right, it's time for some hardware software presented by Metro Ford of Chicago. We're going to open things up with the Moza HTP shifter review. Take it away, Justin. Yeah, we got Sim Racing Garage here uh, reviewing the Monza hgp shifter and he's got a video here going through i've watched this guy before he's really in depth when he reviews a product i love it he learned so much about it but um yeah we got a shifter here and yeah moza h pattern uh the overall was fit and finish was great you have to have the software running in the background all the time which was a bit annoying uh Feels solid, but a hint of shaft flex during aggressive driving. And there's no sequential function like some of the other shifters. Now, Brian, you're still in the market for a shifter. Yeah, um, I'm looking one for one that does the sequential too. So um, this would not be something I'd be interested in. Um, as far as age patterns go, the Fanatec works okay. I just want to have that extra ability to do the shift the sequential with um you know and and at work because that's the problem with the fanatech fourth for me so i just keep it an h pattern and use style shifters but i don't want to have a second second knob one for sequential one for h pattern i'd rather get it all in one so um yeah so this would not be what I'm looking for, but uh, if if H pattern is your deal, uh, you know you got really into the new Gen Gen uh, four cars that use H pattern. Heck, this would, this might be a good option to check out. It's $149 US, VAT excluded, and ships within 15 business days. It's got seven uh, forward and one reverse. Now my question is, how many cars in iRacing actually have seven gears that run the age pattern shifter i can't think I of any, one i don't think any of them do do they i mean there's seven, seven seven gear cars but they're not really yeah, the, the lara uh oh ir01 is seven gears the gtps are seven gears and so are the old lmp ones but they're not h pattern are they nope i can't even think of one maybe one of our listeners knows of one well, next up, we have the Rigmotech AP Extreme. It's uh, presented as a hidden gem of sim rigs. 
Did you uh, take a look at this one, Brian? Uh, I watched a little bit of it. It's not like a, it's it's almost like a combination. It's got a little bit of eighty twenty in it, but uh, most of it is not. Um, the uh, gentleman who uh, who did the review, um, he he um, he had a, his uh, shifter was wobbling around, and he said it wasn't from the um, from the installation. He said it was loose, and uh, that was the one thing. As I was watching, I kept watching his knob on his shifter just flopping around. I was like, that's really, really odd looking. But, um, but he said it wasn't from the, it wasn't from the actual rig, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't look like it's got the custom ability that I would like that, uh, the, the freedom that a 20 gives. And that's, that's always my biggest complaint about these rigs that, that have uh, solid panels and, and might not have the adjustability and the customizability was what really I like is because I can put weird things on there that nobody would ever think of. And, um, it's really easy to do with 80, 20 and, and these are not. Yeah. It's got 80, 20, but it's also 60, 60, I think he said as well. And the other thing that's unique about this is on the right side, he's got these two thin bars that basically, or you know, go across where he has his keyboard, his shifter, his mouse tray, all this stuff. And, and that's what kind of makes this unique is that's kind of built in with these two rails where you can just install stuff on it. So it, it's got that for customizable, but, but like you said, it's not a traditional 80-20 by any means. Now, the price is a little scary, too, when you actually look at it on their website. But Rick Motek has always been known for a little bit higher pricing stuff. Uh, $2,375. Um, I just don't see the value. I mean, that's with a seat, I guess. Is that with a wheel and pedals also? Oh, maybe that's why. It yeah, it is. Yeah, okay. It is. Now it's it's more yeah it's you know you can select for PC or PlayStation or Xbox, and uh, you can uh, add a shifter. The shifter's not included, and you have the option of a reclining seat, which would be more like a car seat that ha that can recline, or a standard uh, racing bucket seat. The bucket seat's uh, almost a hundred dollars extra. The way to describe this one, too, is anything that goes vertical on the rig goes up and down is not 80-20. It's flat black metal, you know, one-inch thick metal. So the uprights going up to where the the pedal, uh, the, the steering wheel tray is, you know, those are the one-inch, you know, black thick metal, which it looks, you know, rock solid and everything. But But to Brian's point, you know, how much adjustability is it? All right, I'll pick up this next one, or I might pull on it a little i'm not sure or maybe give it push it to the guys um what we have is a sim lab pa uh, paddle shifter now and this one's a push pull rally shifter and we were actually a little i remember we were a little confused about this at first i'm like well what's different and that's what is different is that it just goes on one side and it's basically kind of like almost like a sequential shifter where you just you push for downshift and pull for upshift out of sim, it's out of sim lab if, if i didn't say so yeah if you're into rally i mean this will I, I it's the first time i've seen this type of product i think that's why we were confused by it but it, it's kind of neat you know to they're they're filling that niche you know if you're looking for a rally setup and you have a rally wheel and you want to 
make it all uh, authentic, you know, this is the way to go. I know that Tony's having to have one of his shoulders operated on, on again, and he was considering getting this just so he could shift with just one hand. That's a good one. It's a regular shifter like you would see on any formula wheel, but the paddle is really long, you know, and and so that way you can reach it, you know, from a variety of points you might be holding on the wheel. 200 euros. All right, Matt, we've got another look at the grid MPX. Yeah, this is a, this is a review by Dan Suzuki. Uh, I didn't actually get to watch this video. I, you know, it's not a lot of new information. I mean, we've seen so many videos recently on this, but I think one thing that he brought up, uh, McKenzie, was that I didn't know. This wheel's made in China. It's not made in the Sim Lab factory like I thought it might be, or at Grid Engineering in uh, Canada, where they're located. I just, I guess I assumed it was, um, but no, he indicated, no, these are coming out of China. Okay. I assumed they were made in Canada too, being by grid engineering. Mm -hmm. So that was news to me for sure. But I, you know, it's, it still doesn't diminish how this wheel looks when it's lit up. Um, the unique part about this particular wheel is the, the knobs in the middle are, <clears throat> have a, a circular lit up, uh, around it, like a, a circle that kind of makes it unique from some of the other wheels. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, for for a wheel that doesn't have a LCD screen on it or LED screen, it's it's over a grand. And that's really high for, for a wheel without um, a screen on it. So it's definitely on the higher end as far as those types of wheels go. So Dan Suzuki is a, a a wheel guy. I mean, he works at Gomez Industries um, as an engineer, or whatever. And uh, yeah, he's not afraid to tell uh, tell you what he thinks. Next thing we've got is a is a little bit of Victory Sim eye candy, and it's an Instagram post of a Victory Sim rig, and it looks like it's motion. It's got a PC on it, triples, with and an overhead monitor. Clean, clean looking rig. This this one looks really good to me. I mean, I don't see any wires, and boy, that that those I don't know is that D box or some other uh, you know type of motion, uh, and then the big old black platform that it sits on. I it's just got a really neat look to it. Yeah, I'm jealous. That is a nice setup. How it's all just lifted up off the ground, you know, with those four arms and. And it's all in one piece. Yeah, love it. It does have inverted pedals as well. Well, that's what Victory Sim is known for. That's their signature is to do inverted pedals. And, and his pedal inversion system is not 80-20. It's like a sheet metal or a, a thick metal uh, setup. Well, it attaches to the eighty twenty, but yeah, it's a um, the, the mount itself is, is a, a, probably a sheet of aluminum. If you uh, want to buy instead of build, I mean, this is a good guy to buy from. How much is it? There is a, a website, and he's got his standard price list, and he he has different packages. And I don't know which one this is. I presume it's the most expensive. I'd have to look closer, but he's got them at the Atlanta rig at fifty five hundred, the Bristol rig seventy five hundred. 
Charlotte rig 9,500, and the Daytona rig is 15,500. Well, it's definitely either the Charlotte or Daytona because they have the triple monitor mounts. Um, the Charlotte rig has the NRG Prisma seat, and this one is not an NRG. So this has, yeah, you're right. This is the most expensive one, the Daytona. And uh, if you look below that package upgrade, you can add the D box for ten grand more. Oh, I was thinking that included the the, the D box. That's crazy high. <laughs> yeah, without twenty five motion. Come on, that's twenty five without without motion. But that's the equipment motion. too. Have okay. Simcoach pedal, fourteen forty monitors. Yeah, yeah the Sim Charlotte rigs got Henskinville and um, pedals. I mean. Those are so. Good. So he's given you all the. It's an all-in-one package. That's what I mean. You don't have to figure out what to buy. You just say, "Hey, I want the Daytona rig." Here you go. I think it's worth noting that it it comes with the PC also. Yeah. So maybe it. Is, I mean, a PC to run these things is four grand these days. Yeah. So that's that's a little different. I was thinking like just the rig after you took the D box out of there. Uh. Uh-uh. But over here on the other side of the page is. Uh, crating 550, freight shipping 750. Man, when I got my P1X shipped, it was from Germany, only a couple of hundred. Shipping has gone up through the roof. Well, that's because he's building it in his warehouse and he's shipping it as a whole, probably. Uh, so you don't need no, no assembly required at all? How do you get through the door? Well, he's probably got the monitors off of it, I would guess. Well, Mike, this one you almost bought, right? Well, not this one, probably, because it doesn't have the display on it, even though I think you weren't co- too concerned with whether it had it, the display. But next up is a Gomez, Gomez Sim Racing entry-level wheel. thought we talked about this one last time, didn't we? Yeah, they teased it, but now it's available. Yeah, we didn't get a and whole got lot from the last one. Yeah, the last one didn't give us a whole lot of info. Yeah, so we got pictures of all angles and... You know, three encoders, two multi-switches, 10 LEDs. It's 290 millimeters wide, only 1.1 kilogram. Is that right? Now, we had a listener uh, pipe in about this. No, it wasn't a listener. It was a commenter um, on either Twitter or Facebook, I forget, on the post that they put out. And I thought that Jonathan Giokonkonsky, oh, I butchered that name, uh, had a great synopsis of how, what this wheel is and where it fits in the market. Here's what he says. Looks great and what I'd expect from GSI, but the dual clutch option is uncomfortably close in price to the grid MPX, which has much more functionality, telemetry-driven RGB, and is, and is also their entry level. And that's not even accounting for when their pre-order price was the same as this. The functionality is just a little bit more than the Pulsiber wheel, which is a true entry-level wheel at any at a true entry-level price. But that doesn't feel particularly entry-level in hand. This absolutely deserves to cost more, but not two times more. Not sure who this is priced for. Brand loyalists aren't looking for an entry-level wheel, and it's only 150 more to upgrade from this to a quote forever wheel so he's basically saying it's a little overpriced for what it is yeah it's too high for entry level considering how much you can get say the fanatec formula wheel 
which you're staying under 500, right? So it's too high. It's it's an entry level Gomez wheel, um, and that's a it's a big difference between a regular entry level wheel. It's half a regular Gomez, right? So fifty percent off, basically. And and so if you do want a Gomez wheel, I mean, this is a good way to get it, get you into one, I guess, but at a, at a affordable price. But I, I you know what this guy's saying, you know, look at the options. There's so many out there, and for just a uh, you know, eight hundred bucks instead of six fifty, you can get a, something that's quite better. You know, the dual clutch over single clutch for one. All right, we need to edit this next title. Okay, right now the title currently says which direct drive wheel is the best, and then I looked at which three choices there were, and so I'm uh, I expect to see this on the on the notes, Brian, when you go back and edit this. Which direct drive wheel is the best of the worst? <laughs> Good point. Well, it's I guess he's more like which is the best of these three that he's reviewing. It's the Logitech GT G Pro, the Thrustmaster T818 and Moza R9. So, uh he he reviewed he compared these three, obviously. It's there there are no comparison obviously to a SimiCube or any of those top tier ones. Um, but this is from um, the car doc. Um, and we, he did a video last week. It was the first time we saw a video from him and we were kind of concerned. We really hadn't seen his experience with uh, a lot of equipment, but um, now he's, he's, uh, he's actually got his hands on at least three of them and has run quite a bit with them uh, according to his video. So um, he said, I, I, I believe he went with the M Moza R9 was his favorite of those three. Um, he he did a he he liked the Thrustmaster T eight one eight. Of course, he said uh, well, the same thing he said in his video last week is buy the uh, adapter plate because so you don't have to keep drilling holes in your rig. So uh, yeah, that's that's what uh, that's what we got from him. Yeah, he said Moza was the best value for the money. The Logitech had the best feedback out of all, and the Thrustmaster had the best ecosystem out of the three. But who knows? So, uh, Justin, these boots are not made for walking. No, they are not, David. Uh, we got Invicta offers their spectacular sim racing boots for $99. And does anybody use racing shoes when they race? Well, the shoes I have are all, they're kind of more like lifting shoes, which kind of almost gets the same effect. They've, they've got a nice grip and just enough cushion, but you can still feel through them. They're not like high tops or anything like that or super dense shoes. So these are Ace Attack is the brand, actually. Um, the brand who makes the wheel. And this, the colors of the, and color scheme of these shoes perfectly match their, wheel their pedals their their formula wheel all, everything it, it matches and so if i had an asatec wheelbase i would be buying these shoes just to set them underneath the wheelbase uh, in front of the pedals for the photo shot uh, the, for the photo shoot because it just they just look so cool it's it's kind of tempting i wonder if it would reduce the wear and tear on my regular shoes but um, they look nice. They 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 seem to be lace up, but Velcro attached. So I guess they're. I don't know if you actually have to tie them or if the laces are just kind of for adjusting. Um, I don't like 
messing with with shoelaces because they just never stay tied. So I haven't had owned a shoe with a sh- shoelace in in years, decades maybe even. I've talked before about like if I was buying a a wheelbase again right now, would I, you know, what would I buy? Simu Cube or uh, Ace Ace and this is just one more reason I might pick Asetech over SimiCube, you know, because buy into that Asetech system, get their pedals, get the the base, get the wheel, get the shoes even, and everything matches, and your rig's going to have the this black and orange theme going. It's going to look cool. Now, I use uh, karting shoes when I sim race, and they're, the style is identical to these shoes. Yeah, they're 100 bucks on their website, Asetech.com. All right, this is another one that you hit it at the beginning, Mike, that uh, somebody thinks this particular base may kill all the competition, or is it the wheel that's killing the competition? This is fascinating. You know, when you think you've seen it all, a new product comes out that you've never thought of, that it never occurred to me that you could do this. But when you see it, you're going to be blown away. I mean, the Camus has come up with what they call the C5, and it's a direct drive wheel, but it doesn't look like any direct drive wheel you've ever seen. There's the motor is the it, within the spokes or the hub of the wheel itself. This is a very small portable uh, wheel. Um, it's got a little clamp system desk thing that you can mount it to and it does five uh newton meters uh on regular but up to six or seven at peak the design is is unique for sure like i said the 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 middle of the wheel there's a there's a a buttons there's a carbon fiber it looks really cool it's a little bit thick because there's the direct drive motor is literally in the middle of the wheel and it may be four inches thick or something, but there's a video that the um, owner of Camus or the engineer at Camus put out that describes the, the technology and basically the housing that holds that middle part is so wide. And so uh, the diameter is so big that they're able to get a lot of torque that you know five uh, newton meters uh through it because of how wide it is and and lots of times with these normal uh, direct drive bases the size of them dictates how how much power they have and and they don't have to go with a traditional motor uh because of this unique design i don't know how else to explain it what's really the kicker though is the price 200 bucks 250 bucks 250 bucks I mean, as far as entry level, this beats that the best of the worst by out of the water. If it if it's drivable, there. I mean, it's dirt cheap. The negatives are you're stuck with that one rim. And that's not really a wide rim. You but you're right. You can't change rims. But somebody in one of the we have three videos on this. But one of the videos, he's like, "This is a backup system." I mean, at two hundred and fifty dollars. For the serious eSport racer who wants a backup plan, boy, isn't this a backup plan? Or maybe you're traveling. Maybe you're Evan Pasoko and you're traveling around with the the truck, the, the dirt trucks, and you want to race at the hotel. 
you could put this right in a suitcase or a, a carry-on bag or a backpack and, and take it with you on the road. And now I don't know what you do for pedals. I haven't figured that part out, but this is really the first portable direct drive wheel. I mean, it's very portable. And I really think I would, at, even at this point, even with the small rim, I would recommend it as the first, as a, a first wheel for any racer nowadays, right? It's better than any of the old belt driven ones. And, 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 and as far as the value. Right. Like if you want to get into, you want to try some racing for the first time, you know, buy some entry level equipment, man, this, this is a great, a, a great buy. I love it. I do recommend watching that third video on our uh, script of the engineer um, describing how it works. I, I, I don't, I'm not doing a good job trying to repeat what he did, what he said. It's really hard to read because, or, or hard to watch the video because he's talking in Chinese and you have to watch. So I ended up muting it and then watching the subtitles to, to see what he's saying. But it's fascinating tech. Uh, I, and I think this really, and, and at the end of the video, the engineer says, you know, we feel like this is groundbreaking. We expect this to be a, basically a new category in the industry. Uh, we expect it, it would be interesting to see what other companies decide to, what other products, uh, can be dreamed up by, by taking this concept, um, and that kind of thing. So uh, I'm going to come out and say right now, I recommend this one is as, as a, as if you're wanting the really cheap wheel, this is a better route than any of those other three, I think. And then if you, if you want to jump up to the next level, you might be looking at more something like the, uh, the Sim magic, which I know Anthony Groves has been real positive about. Well, 250, it doesn't have pedals though. So you got to figure that out, but for a five Newton meter that goes to seven, I mean, that's, that's a really good price. That's, that's half what more than half of some of the other options, right? Mo, the Moza R5, the, uh, this, the Fanatec CSL DD is in this category. Um, and the front of it looks pretty cool with the buttons and the carbon fiber and, it even has a little LED, uh, you know, triple uh, number LED readout at the top, um, and so forth. There's a little clamp system to mount it to your 80/20, or to your uh, rig, or you know, your your front mount. Uh, it's not a front mount, but a a flat mount. And uh, they also include two cable uh, table clamps, so you can just mount it to anything, any table. Like I said, super portability here. Like a, you could fold this up and put it in a, in a small bag easily and, and take it on a plane. I think the one thing that would have been nice if they added is paddle shifters. Right. So without paddle shifters, you pretty much need a way to shift and uh, pedals, of course. So you'd think Camus would just come up with a cheap package, you know, that to, to go with this that included those items. So it could be a real competitor for the Logitech, you know, 923 package or the the Thrustmaster and so forth, you know, that includes pedals and everything. Very cool. All right. Next up, we have the, a real discussion on Discord with this. I, I actually saw this a little bit earlier concerning this video that's also linked on the item. And it has to do with Daniel Morad giving his uh, settings for the most realistic, realistic settings for sim racing. And uh, Mike, you were pretty deep in this conversation. 
And if you have a semi-cube, this is a must-watch because he really goes through all the little details of each setting and what each slider does, what, where he has it set, why he set it there, how does it feel if you change it one way or the other? Daniel Morad does a great, one of the best jobs I've ever seen in any video trying to describe how to how force feedback works or how to adjust the software, how to adjust the sliders. He does a fantastic job. Now, I, I for one, don't really want to learn that stuff in depth. I like to just grab a profile and use it. And he's one of the ones I use for sure. Now, the discussion that David talked about, I'm going to read a couple quotes. Uh, Dr. Orzi, he said, the way that Daniel Morad does it is exactly how I have been running it, where you run 100% in the software of the wheel, and then you just dial it in in the sim from there by adjusting wheel force. Now, I've heard some people do it the other way, and I think they're missing out on fidelity and everything the wheelbase can give you if you turn it down in the wheelbase software. Now, I have a response to that, actually. I know you, you, you kind of responded to it, but I think I have a more direct response to it. Here's how you know if you're going to lose fidelity or not. One of the, the little lag box that you can look at where you see your frames per second, one of those sliders is actually for force feedback. And you can see if it's going into the red from the software. If it's going into the red, you're getting clipping. If you know the audio world, that's that's when the top of the waveform is getting chopped off. And then at that point, if you're listening to the music, it sounds nasty, dirty, right? You've you've done you've done the sound engineering, you know. So it, that means you're also losing that signal if you're driving. So either setting, if you if you're hitting the clipping range on your force feedback, you need to turn down the software. If you're not hitting the clipping, you're still going to get the full fidelity. Because all of the at that point the wheel is basically a speaker it, to c keep the analogy going, right? And so it's just amplifying the signal. So as long as the signal is not distorted, you, you'll have the full fidelity. Now there's a button for that, and so here's what I wrote. Yeah, I'm doing the same as Daniel and Dr. Orzi. I'm always running at a hundred percent force in the wheel software, and then I run a couple of laps. I hit the F9 key and you'll see auto, it's a button. Uh, so you won't see it until you run a few laps, but auto basically will adjust that wheel force to be just under the clipping point that David just spoke about. It, it'll move it automatically to that bot right before it goes into the red. So that's how I do it. Then once I, I, I'm at that point, which is really what I believe where iRacing believes the force feedback level should be based on your wheel and everything. And it's what I would call 100% force feedback. From there, I make a decision usually, am I gonna run it like this or am I gonna back it down? And so some car combos, I run it at 100%, others I don't. I back it down maybe 10 or 20 with the little uh, the up and down next to the auto button on the F9 key. Um, and I'll knock it down 10 or 20, depending on the car. Um, but sometimes I'll leave it where it is and get the Popeye arms. Um, but yeah, I, that's how I do it. And, and I adjust it every time I get into a different car and track combination. Because uh, if you're in the 
the spec Ford racer, the form, the, the force feedback is going to feel way different than a GT three car. Yep. I've also found that I like the, the, I like for, especially the road wheel to be pretty heavy. Um, and I try to get it as far as I can with it, not, actually causing repetitive stress injury uh but i like for it to be as heavy as possible because that's that helps uh reduce oversteer as a matter of fact if it's harder to turn the wheel it's harder to turn it too much yeah and i i think this discussion actually started with one listener asking how do i save tires and i and i think i was saying look run your force feedback at a higher uh you know higher uh, than normal uh, or at a hundred percent, because like you just said, David, it forces you not to turn the wheel as much because it's harder to turn the wheel. It, you, 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 the, the, the force feedback keeps you in the groove and doesn't uh, allow you to really scrub those tires a lot by uh, moving the wheel more than you really need to. Great discussion. All right, we got a couple more quick hits in hardware. Uh, McKenzie, uh, we've got the FuelTech P1 cockpit. Yeah, it's uh, the FuelTech P1 3.0 cockpit. It uh, features rock-solid carbon steel construction on the chassis, a wide-shoulder racing seat with thick padding, adjustable seat mounting, adjustable pedal plate, and wheel uh, deck plate. Uh, this is $1,300, and uh, it's it's a pretty nice-looking rig here. The, the seat and the sides of it are it's black and red, so if you're into the black and red, it's it's pretty sweet looking. I don't know about the price, so um, it seems high for what it is. It's not eighty twenty. It's just a sheet metal, you know, thick metal, I should say. It, the seat does come with it, you know, it does come with a seat. Not a lot of adjustability though. It, I think it has the adjustability slot set in. You can see if you look at some of the pictures, it does have the adjustability bit in, or built in. So you're going to be able to put the things where you need to put them. What you're not going to be able to do is put other stuff on. Right? Brian referenced that earlier, that the 8020 just gives you other things to throw in. Like, I built a shelf for my amplifier from a butt kicker. Yeah, good point. And, like, I added a, a iPhone mount mounted to the 8020 like like on this rig you wouldn't be able to put an iphone mount on it or you wouldn't be able to put a butt kicker tray you know so so that's the advantage of you know every time we talk about the 8020 fuel tech is a automotive company that just happens to be selling a sim rig i thought that was interesting but they sell injectors and uh controllers and harnesses and sensors and stuff for real uh you know muscle cars and stuff it does also come with a. It's got a keyboard mount, a shifter mount with a area for your mouse to sit. It's got the mount for your TV or uh, screen there, with even a tray behind it. Yeah, it looks like they've custom built it themselves. Um, pretty cool. All right, Justin, finish off the hardware. We got uh, looks like another wheel. Yeah, we got the sim line. Let's try pushing your button again. Oh, I don't know what's going on there. Sorry about that. But we got the Simline 720 GT3 wheel. And the features are, it's 300 millimeter wide. It's got Alcantara or fabric trim, 12 automotive 
APEM or MEC switches, four CTS 288 encoders, aluminum or carbon fiber shifters, USB or two, or sorry, or SC2 wireless connection and uh, three times 50 PCD, whatever that is. But it, it is a neat looking um, wheel. It kind of reminds me of the the wheel that Greg has because he has a GT Fanatec GT3 rim or the McLaren rim, I think, is actually what the, what the model was on it. Um, and it's one of the one one of the cheaper end ones that has the uh, the clutch option. And this one does have the clutch options. Um, you you may, I see there's a cord coming out in the pictures. I like the thumb layout because everything everything is reachable from, by the thumbs, like all the way from the top to the bottom. Uh, and it does have the hat switch and as well as four rotary buttons in the middle. So it, lo- it looks like a good design. Did you, you, did you mention that might be wireless? Yeah, it, it says it's got two options for wireless connections on there. I'm looking at the yeah, we- website here and it looks like you can either pick the USB connection or wireless connection. Yeah, we found these on the forums this week. Uh, people were talking about it. Do we know where these are from? Because I'm not sure what that currency is. I couldn't figure it out either. I was doing a little Googling. Uh, it It is a foreign country. We'll say that. Well, the, the site is EU. It's .EU. So that's somewhere in Europe. Now, one little tidbit I found in the forums from Will Sutton, who's the one who put up this post. He said he had a reply from the Simline company and they are using the new module from SimuCube so they can have more than the 28 inputs, including clutch. So it looks like SimuCube are releasing their latest wireless module, but not seeing many wheels that are actually using it. And so apparently this is one of those that is using uh, some more SimuCube tech to make the, the wheel wireless. That is... um. The currency is Polish, so this is a Poland oh, company. Yeah, Polish company. Yeah, I just found that too. And if you do the conversion, the USB connection one is 640 US. So not bad. Uh, not bad at all. And uh, another comment in the forums from Isan Gin said, interesting, I may just wait for the Asher to come up with a semi-cube version of their F64, if I'm honest. So, yeah, the F64F F, uh, version 3 from Asher, that wheel uh, is pretty amazing. And if that one goes wireless, that'll be really cool. All right, Mike, let's clean up the results by finishing up the dirt. Yeah, Friday open at the dirt, Bristol, P14. I drove up through the field at least one time. I ran top five most of the race. Had started fourth on the final restart. Second and third took each other out and wrecked us all. I mean, all of us, except for the leader. I finished 14th. Ouch. Dustin, P7. Yeah, Mike, I qualified fifth, got in trouble real early caught some excess i had eight minutes worth of damage but what was crazy is uh, it wasn't slowing me down uh, i just played it real conservative and place try to race for points i top 10 david p wrecked 
Yeah, I ran towards the front on this, and then when we got to really racing at the end, um, I just blew it and slammed the wall, got stuck on the wall, and the road, a raw old wall rid, one of those, um, for two laps, letting everybody go by just to try to keep from bringing out a caution or, or coming back down in front of everybody and losing control. And then somebody else caused the caution because I actually, I hit the wall so hard it was meatballed. So it was going to, uh, about one more lap, and it was just going to make me disappear. Uh, so I was just trying not to affect the race. Um, but yeah, just, uh, you never really get a chance to practice a lot of side by side because the races were so sloppy. It was such a shit show that the one time I really tried to go, I, I just popped it, popped the wall too hard. All right. And Justin, you were our big winner P1 in the Saturday fixed. I got to say, you've been knocking on the door, uh, to win a race. And glad to see you finally get it done. But you, you haven't been on this team very long running NIS. Um, and, and for you to get the win under your belt so quick in the season, you know, congratulations. Well done. I appreciate it, Mike. Uh, yeah, um, I qualified eighth, uh, got in the top five real quick. I think the first couple laps, I dodged a wreck, stayed in the top three, just made sure I didn't get hit or ran over. Uh, lap 50 to go I finally took the lead and I just kept going with it it was caution after caution one of those races it took all three green white checkers so anxiety was getting up there but um I finished and it was a good little race well done all right and then Sunday open McKenzie P7 yeah, so I started 28th because I screwed up both my qualifying laps and just touched the ball on both of them. Uh, I wasn't wasn't overly fast, but uh, I managed to survive all 16 cautions we had and just kept moving up the field and ended up P7. I think we ran 80-something caution laps, so it, was, it wasn't a very eventful race. All right, top 10, though. And David, another top 10, P9. Yeah, and I just uh, went survivor mode and didn't race anybody because I didn't get, you know, didn't have a good finish in the books. And I mean, I probably could have raced a little bit higher, but I was just trying to not die. And it was boring. It was nonstop. It was cautions every two laps. It was it was just dumb. I mean, so many people who just could not race there. Um, and we we're having the same shit at Martinsville. I'm. It's just. It was. It's just dumb. Dirt at Bristol, dumb. I was going to say, uh, cautions every two laps, that's Martinsville. And so that was next, uh, Wednesday Open, Justin, P17. Yeah, uh, Martinsville kind of humbled me. <laughs> uh, P17, it was a rough ra race. I actually stayed clean until lap 120, but then I had to get tires, um, get some gas, and that put me in the back. Then. That last 80 laps, people started getting more aggressive, and it, it was rough. Yeah, it was fun racing with you in the same split, and I ended up with P1. I got my win, my first win of this year. Um, boy, I got hit at one point. I had to go to the back. Uh, ended up um, pitting uh, about one-third of the way through the race. So it's a 200-lap race. I pitted at lap 66 which is exactly one third of the way. I figured I'm gonna go from here without stopping. 
and it worked and uh, worked my way forward. Every two laps, there was a caution. Um, I, every, you know, I would get a, a spot, you know, each time kind of thing. Um, I ended up taking the lead with 74 to go. I was able to hold them off all the way to the end with the short runs. Um, there was even green, two green white checkers. Um, that was my 92nd career win. And, you know, I, I, I feel good about the win. I really do. I mean, it takes racecraft to put yourself in position to, to win these shit shows. Just like David said, it's a shit show out there. But you, got, you know what? Somebody's going to win it. And I freaking did. And, and that was what's cool. The pitch strategy worked. I was getting ulcers at the end of that race. I mean, every time a caution would come out, I'm like, oh, my God, these guys are faster than me. How am I going to hold them off? We got the new restart zone. I was, you know, I had restart after restart after restart after restart. And it, I would try to hit that 40 mile an hour just perfect so I wouldn't get a black flag. I was sweating like a pig. I mean, ah, oh man, I was on cloud nine last night forever after winning that race. But uh, boy, it felt good. David, P11. Yeah, tough split. Another shit show, though. I don't understand why guys all up in the near the 4,000 I rating can't just not run over each other or not self-spin or not get over their head. It's it. I was at 16x just getting caught in other people's crap or one of the 4x. I was literally stopped on the track because there was four cars in front of me stopped because the car in front of them was facing them. And then this car just comes in and hits us when the yellow's been out for for half a lap. Um, I'm pretty frustrated with with all the racers. And part of it's that we're in the same boat as almost in some ways that real NASCAR is and that there's there's just no enforcement of respect and there's not, I don't know if, even know if there's a way to enforce it but you can't you can't do something back to the stupid people you can't call them names you can't hit them on purpose you can't threaten to go you know deal with it in person so everybody just drives like they don't care but I, I stayed I, I spent half the race on uh, 16x and managed to stay out of trouble and still finish P11 now you had an interesting uh, tidbit on the points. Your P11 in top split was worth more than my win in my split. And this wasn't top split either. It was second split. Wow. And that goes, that puts me on another rant in that with the dirt top split ratings were, were 2000 strength of field. So we were getting half the points at the dirt race. Um, I think my P9 was only worth 72 points. Right. So for all of us top splitters and or, or second splitters, the the road races and dirt races are going to be our drop weeks. Right. Because we got a hundred I got hundred and fifty, I think, for winning. Uh Steve Lou Allen ran with us. He got a P three. Great run for him. All right, and, and one you know, when I won Wednesday night, zero X too. I mean the the luck of missing the wrecks of having the wrecks behind me i had all the luck everything just lined up it was just great but today thursday open was a little different i did the same strategy i pitted at the third way mark but this time i was involved in all kinds of incidents uh, the first two cautions alone 
I had to swerve and get tagged and then I plowed the right front into the wall and it was no meatball and I think I had two minutes damage but I just kept going. Um, at 50 to go I finally got the drive-through penalty and then as I was doing the drive-through penalty or about to uh, I lost connection to the server for the first time since I got my new ISP uh, the Verizon 5G home. Uh, it took me a little bit to get reconnected and uh, by the time I got loaded back in and did the penalty and all I was five laps down. I finished I don't know what 24th. Alright other racing I ran the Indy Pro 2000 at Road America. I couldn't get a Q-lap in because I didn't have my force feedback set up right. I had it way too low. Um, I went from 12th to 8th on the first lap. I got wrecked out. Uh, this guy got me from behind. Uh, he was drafting, trying to catch me, but as we approach turn one, I go to break and he doesn't and just totally ran into me from behind, full speed. Very frustrating. Uh, Gen 4 at Daytona. I missed a big caution early on. I was driving low and miss it. That put me uh, in the top 10. Got to the lead with 20 to go before the caution came out got to the lead after the restart but then got wrecked and sent down through the grass but fell clear to the back and had three minutes damage somehow some way made it back to finish p11 it was really fun racing i did run force feedback at 100 percent and uh it was an impressive example of the wheelbase the cockpit the seat uh it doesn't get any rougher than this in a, in a nascar in a in an oval car i mean I was hanging on. That old Daytona is so bumpy. And um, I was running 100%. And I put up a video in the chat to show you guys what it looked like. I showed a video of me driving it. And then I showed a far away video uh, just to give some, you know, you guys a feel of what kind of uh, feedback I'm running. But it was a blast. I uh, ran again. I ended up uh, stayed green pretty much until the leader got turned in the high lane and wrecked the field. I had nine minutes damage. I limped at home P19. And then uh, Tuesday night, I decided to, instead of watch the Coke race, I was gonna do what Nick Nebon says and let's race the sprint car at Southern National in official. And I showed up for this event, 30 cars. 30 people showed up. I've never seen that many for this car ever since I've been in the service. So I was hoping it'd be one split, but no, it was two splits of 15. I was in bottom split. I ran around 10th. I ended up causing two of the cautions by spinning off my own, on my own off four. It's a really tough car. Will I keep doing this every Tuesday night? I haven't decided. Uh, David called it giving up by rating. But if you're not worried about that, go right ahead, you know, if you're enjoying it. I I don't farm iRating, but I also don't want to go to places where I literally just throw it on on, on the knife, right? But I had a good time because I wasn't in the top split. I was in the bottom of the two, and I wasn't racing those alien guys that, that I was racing before. So I think if we still get 30-some people, I might keep doing it. Uh, but why? You know, I encourage listeners to get on this car and, and run with us. Um, but yeah, it's a blast. Brian, OBRL Cup. 
Yeah, so uh, it was Bristol Dirt, like everybody else. Um, I finished P7, uh, which is basically, um, I just ran incident-free, didn't finish the race 140 laps without any incident points. Um, we didn't quite get the uh, show out, uh, turnout that we normally would. I think, you know, being on dirt track on a Sunday night on Easter, at the same time the NASCAR race was actually on, I think it probably hurt our participation. So I think we got 25, 26 cars, something like that. Still pretty decent turnout. Um, I, I qualified 14th. And like I said, just I just stayed out of trouble for the most part. I had a couple of good racing moments, you know, racing some of the guys, but for the for mo most of the race, I just try not to keep from wrecking, causing problems. And, uh, you know, it was good enough to get from fourth to seventh. So uh, I'll take that in, in o any OBRL race. So um, Lloyd Moore uh, won the won the race. Uh, um, we had uh, Eddie Jones um, finish second and Dale Copeland finish third. Congratulations to those guys. All right, let's jump to final thoughts, David Hall. Well, I went and looked as we were finishing up here at the cautions in that Mertensville race, and the count was 24 cautions for 120 caution laps. So we raced 80 laps out of 200. And, I mean, people just got to smarten up and back down and just not try to win in two laps. Um, rant over. It's like herding cats trying to get people to race clean. Come on. Not going to happen. Justin Pearson, final thought. Not much. Uh, work's got me going to Chicago briefly this weekend, so I won't have too much time to race. I'll have all day Sunday, though, so I can hit both both NIS races then. So, But, yeah, that's about it, guys. All right, very good. Mackenzie Stevens, final thought. Yeah, I haven't got to do any racing this week yet. Uh, I'm running the NIS on Sunday. And uh, I just looked at the, the standings just to see where I was. I'm in Div 6, but um, I'm 12th in my division, and I haven't ran this week yet. So I'm actually doing better in that than I thought. Keep plugging at it. I, I, I'm telling you, just get some points every week and see what happens. And uh, I haven't looked at points since I won, but I think I, I got some good ones. So I'm pretty excited about it. All right, Brian McCubbin, final thoughts. Um, yeah, it's just uh, looking forward to Talladega because um, <laughs> uh, Martinsville this week's not going to be fun for me. Um, Martinsville, for I typically am not the type of driver who runs deep into corners. You know, I, I back the corners off typically, and you know you're just going to get run over at Martinsville like that. So, you know, I had to change my driving style. Even so, it's not comfortable for me to run that way. Um, so, it's it's just. It's just a tough race for for somebody who drives in my my way. So um, I don't know. We'll we'll see how it goes. And then Talladega is next. So I'm looking forward to that at least. Right. My final thoughts. Wow. I can't believe I won. I won four times last year. Well, and and here you know to get the first win at, of this year at Martinsville. You know, am I on track to win another four? I probably am. And I'm trying to look at that and look ahead. You know, I'm on the 92 and I'm trying to think, okay, I'm going to get to 100 here. How, how long is it going to take me to hit that 100th win? And uh, I don't know. I mean, if I'm only winning in NIS, uh, it's going to take a few, a little bit longer, a couple more years. But I, I'm so happy to win. I can't believe 
how it feels, you know, to win in this particular series after trying so hard all year long, knocking on the door, and then finally everything just comes together and it, it just, you know, all the work pays off is kind of the feeling, you know. Cloud9, love it. There's a reason that we do this, folks, and that is the reason. We're here to win. So, hey, come out there and win with me, and we'll see you on the track later. Thank you for listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast. Make sure you go subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play, Facebook, and Twitter. See you on the track.